Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everybody, welcome into the Film and Whiskey Podcast. We are back with another special bonus episode. Bonus episode! Brad, it's been a minute since we've done a bonus episode, or at least since we've recorded one. I feel like we had a couple sitting in the can there for a while, and uh, yeah, it's good to be back in the saddle, you know? Bob, you cut out there for a second. You're recording this while sitting on the can? I am, yeah. Wow. Just impeccable acoustics in here. Yeah, that's a that's a heck of a studio you got there in your bathroom. That's, that's right, man. All that porcelain, you know. <laughs> so today we are coming at you with some listener questions. And specifically, I would say 90% of these are from our Patreon supporters. So if you would like to get your questions in for the next mailbag, we do post them on social media, but we definitely give first crack at them to our Patreon subscribers Quick plug for the Patreon, you can support us at three different tiers, $3, $5, and $7 a month. You get tons of perks like this. You get bonus episodes that are specifically catered to the Patreon crowd. Consider supporting us. You can find us at patreon.com slash filmwhiskey. Yeah, Bob. And in addition to answering some questions from our patrons, we are going to be drinking some whiskeys out of the O'Shaughnessy Distillery, specifically their Keeper's Heart lineup. Yeah, so O'Shaughnessy Distilling just opened last year in Minneapolis. It is uh, kind of like a hybrid distillery, Brad. It's really, really cool. These two brothers wanted to get in touch with their Irish roots, and so they are making an Irish-style whiskey from sourced products in America. And I can't wait to break down the tasting kit that they sent us because I think it's going to be a really interesting tasting we're going to go through. But before we get there, Brad, I want to dive right into this Q&A session we have limited this to like 12 questions so that we can give them nice, thorough answers. Brad, why don't you hit us with our first question? All right. Our first question is a whiskey-related question from Matt on the Rocks. Bob, what is our worst cocktail experience of our life? Worst cocktail experience? Um, I don't know if I have one off the top of my head because I don't tend to order cocktails usually. Like I'll get straight whiskey because I know it won't disappoint me. And I'll order a cocktail if I'm at a place where I feel like it's fancy enough that I trust the cocktail. Like, I guess you could say the worst cocktail I've ever had is like the Applebee's Dollar Rita. But even then, I'm like, I'm not disappointed because I know what, exactly what I'm getting. I'm getting a margarita made with water from a hose for a dollar. Like, that's a perfect drink, in my opinion. You know? Yeah. So yeah, I just haven't had a lot of disappointing cocktail experiences. How about you? All right, so I'm not going to name the place I was at because it's genuinely a cool bar down in Columbus. But I got a drink that was supposed to be a blackberry citrus old fashioned. Mm. And I was like super pumped about it. I was like, yeah, we're talking an old fashioned with a little bit of blackberry on top. Like that sounds absolutely delicious. Uh, it tasted kind of like somebody dipped their toes in water and then like ground an orange rind on the rim. <laughs> oh no. And it was absolutely disgusting. And I was in like a group of people who like none of us were paying for the drinks, like the company was paying for them. 
And so my buddy and I looked at each other, like literally we both got the same thing. We both took a sip and he looked at me and it was like across the room almost. And we both just like made the same like disgusted face, shook our heads no. And I was like, oh, excuse me, can I, can I get like anything else? (laughs) (laughs) Like literally anything else would do. Oh man, that, That was an unfortunate drinking experience. I don't personally enjoy toe water. You know it's bad when you say, could I have literally anything else? (laughs) Yeah, man. All right. (laughs) Let's get to the next question here, Brad. This is a movie-related question from our friend Aperture Flash, our favorite Canadian truck driver, whom we both just met in person in the last week. Yeah. Um, Honestly, my favorite Canadian. I mean, yeah. I mean, it used to be Jim Carrey, and and Aperture Flash (laughs) has just vaulted past him at this point. Way past. If you could be a fly on the wall for any filmmaking decision that got made... Which one would you want to be present for? Oh, Brad, I've man. given this a little bit of thought because it's not like you're getting to watch a movie scene being shot or something like that. It's like a decision that's being made behind the scenes. And I don't think that I'd want to be present for one that's like a momentous, huge occasion. You know, like we're going to adapt Gone with the Wind or something like, OK, cool. Like that was cool <laughs> to see. But like, I know how that turned out. You know, I want to be present. For the moment that some visual effects artist was pre-vising all of the VFX for the movie Cats and said to themselves, you know what each of these digital cats needs? They need a butthole. And then they went through (laughs) and decided as a team to animate buttholes on all of those cats. (laughs) Like, and then later on, they reversed course and decided to remove all the buttholes. So I would like to be on like a fly on the wall for each butthole decision involved in the Cats movie. That's my pick. (laughs) I think that's a phenomenal pick, Bob. Uh, For me, seeing as you chose not just one decision, but like an entire sequence of decisions to put buttholes on Cats, I think I would really love to just watch the VFX production for the original Star Wars. I think that would be my filmmaking decision I'd want to see just to go back in time and see the wild stuff they were doing. Like it honestly kind of feels like watching the, uh, the Beatles documentary mm-hmm. that came out. Yep. Like just being able to be a fly on the wall and watch the Beatles be freaking brilliant like that, that, that I'm down for. I think that'd be a lot of fun. All right. Our next question is also movie related. It comes from discord user at awesome username 59. I want to know what movie is one that you love and watch whenever you see it, but a majority of people would say it's a terrible movie. Example, Gone in 60 Seconds is one of my favorite movies. I know it's questionable at times and far from perfect, but it's a car lover's dream and just flat out entertaining. So here's here's my problem with this question, Brad, is like, I don't like movies that I also think are terrible. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like... I think that's the definition of being a snob. I'm just saying, like, except for, like, The Room, (laughs) where you enjoy it because it's so bad. Like, even when he talks about Gone with 60 Seconds, it's like, yeah, I recognize that most people don't think it's a great movie, but it's entertaining as hell. And I'm like, heck yeah. Like, I, you know, I'm I'm down with that. That's why I picked a movie like Elizabethtown for season five. Like, objectively, (laughs) and even watching it again, I'm like, this is not great at all. But there was just something about it that when I was 15, I was like, I can, I can appreciate this. So I don't know. I'll just pick Elizabeth Town, I guess. It's a it's a crappy movie that uh, still resonates with me, apparently. Yeah, uh, I'm going to change my answer to the last question to whatever filmmaking decision Tommy Wiseau makes. <laughs> I want to, I want to see every one of those decisions. 
Uh, I think that there's an obvious answer to this for me, Bob. Uh-huh. It's a movie that I bring up every single bonus episode. Oh, do you think most people think Secondhand Lions is a bad movie? Hmm. Defined as terrible movie, I don't think most people would call it a terrible movie. Yeah. So may- maybe that's wrong. I do know that it, well, it has like a seven something on IMDb, which is pretty decent. So maybe not Secondhand Lions. I guess like the harshest thing you could say about Secondhand Lions is that like, m- I guess most people would probably categorize it as a forgettable movie because yeah. it, it doesn't seem to like have stuck it, in the public consciousness at all. Yeah. Or like it looks like a TV movie, which yeah. I fully understand. So I guess that's I guess that's maybe what I'm getting at. Like it's not a terrible movie, but it's not a like just high end movie that everybody loves. Yeah. Man, I don't know about any other like just terrible movies. I do. You know what, man? Looking back on it. I love episode one and two. Big fan. Just watched them again recently. Had an absolute blast with them. So, yeah, I'm a fan of episode one and two. I'll put it out there. I also am a fan of episode two. Okay, so let's move on to (laughs) our next question. And Brad, I'm going to knock this one out real quick. It's from our Patreon subscriber and Discord user at Matt on the Rocks. He asks, what are your top three B movies in your opinion? Brad, you know what this means. What means it mean? Matt on the Rocks didn't listen to our last Patreon mailbag episode where he asked this exact same question. We already answered you, Matt. Go back go Maybe. back and listen. Check perhaps, the transcripts. Perhaps he just wasn't uh, satisfied with our answer. <laughs> I am pretty sure that we were both like, I don't really watch a lot of B movies. So he's probably yeah. thinking like, well, surely by now <laughs> they've seen at least three. Yeah, uh, there's like a little there should be a footnote under this answer saying, see Bob's previous answer. He just doesn't watch bad movies. <laughs> And, and it's just me with my pinky up. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the right. Leonardo DiCaprio snob gif. All right, Brad, why don't you uh, pick our next question? All right. Our next question is going to be about us. Uh, this is from Straight No Chaser on Instagram. Uh, how can Bob live with himself for not reading Harry Potter past the fifth book? Oh, very easily. I feel like I got out at the right time. You know, it's like it's like when you see it's like being in the big short and like knowing that the housing (laughs) bubble is about to burst and you're like, nope, I'm I'm out short everything. (laughs) I don't know. I've I've heard that the sixth book is a lot of people's favorite book. I have never heard anyone say that the seventh book is their favorite book. And, you know, I've said this before on the podcast. I had just gotten to the point where it felt like J.K. Rowling was trying to top herself in terms of how many pages could be written and that really reached its pinnacle with book five i know that six and seven are both shorter than five but i just couldn't get down with it anymore and uh i'm not i don't really regret that i haven't gone back and read them because i love the movies a lot and i feel like i've gotten all the information i need from the movies and uh i'm good you know what i have to say to that bob Uh, i can only imagine what they're they're really good books. Yeah. You, like you should go back sometime and if not read the whole series, you know, maybe start from like book four mm. uh, and, and finish it out because it's a really good series. I, I'll tell you what, like when my kids start reading them, I probably will go back. Like I, I started reading yeah. The Hobbit to my five year old just as like a yeah. bedtime story lately. And it's so good. And it's like you forget how witty uh, Tolkien is. Oh. Yeah, especially in The Hobbit, like it's a really like he was cracking up at some of the stuff that was happening in Bilbo's house when the doors were falling in off the mat and everything. And so, yeah, I'm sure that I'll go back and read them again. But I just, you know, I'm not setting aside time to do that right now. Yeah, no, honestly, that's a good idea, dude. Experience it with your kids. Yeah. 
And then they and then they could be like, man, you really should have stopped at book five, dad. <laughs> and you're going to be saying, I know. I know. Straight note chaser. Oh, man. Well, Bob, how about we get into this keeper's heart uh, before we move on to any more questions? Let's get to it, Brad. All right. So as we've said, we are trying Keeper's Heart, which is a whiskey made by O'Shaughnessy Distilling in Minneapolis. This is a whiskey that is a blend of Irish whiskeys and American rye. It's a really, really interesting blend. So it is Irish grain whiskey, an Irish pot still whiskey, and an American rye. All of them are aged for four years. All of them are 43% ABV or 86 proof. Uh, I don't exactly have the breakdown of like what percent of the blend is what? I mean, it could be just 33, 33, 33. Who knows? Brad, we haven't had a ton of Irish whiskeys on the show. We started out mixing them in about as frequently as we were doing scotch. And then I feel like the last few seasons, scotch has really taken hold and we haven't gone back to Ireland enough. Yeah. And it honestly is a travesty, Bob, because Irish whiskeys are freaking delicious. And I feel like in the world of whiskey, People know their bourbons, they know their ryes, and they know their scotches. But it, it just feels like Irish whiskeys kind of get left out in the cold, and that always makes me sad because every time I drink an Irish whiskey, I'm like, man, I need to drink more Irish whiskey. All right, so the tasting kit that we've gotten, Brad, it ga- they gave us a bottle of the Keeper's Heart Irish Plus American, but they also gave us a sample of each of the three whiskeys that they blend together to make the Irish Plus American, which is really, really cool. I'd like us to start by going through each of these three and then kind of finishing with the final product. Is that cool with you? Uh, yeah, I have zero problems with that, Bob. <laughs> All right. So let's start with the Irish grain whiskey. Now, as with most things, there is a very particular definition when you read a label like this. So, you know, when we talk Scotch or Irish or even Japanese whiskey, single malt means something very specific. When you're talking about Irish whiskey that is a grain whiskey, it means that it can only be up to 30% barley or malt, and the rest of it is is comprised of other grains. In this case, the predominant grain is corn or maize. I'm really excited to see what this tastes like, Brad. This is imported from Ireland. It is 86 proof. It's really, really, really light in color. It was yeah. uh, it was aged in used barrels. So like I'm not you know, I'm not expecting too much in terms of like a huge barrel influence. What are you picking up on the nose of the grain whiskey? Bob, I will say we're not starting off in the best place with the nose. Have you have you smelled it yet? Yeah, it kind of smells like uh like, nail polish remover. Yeah, but also like there's a very specific old man cologne. Yeah, it's not maybe not old spice, but it's something in that vein. like I remember dudes in the barber shop getting that slapped on their neck when I was a kid, yep. you know? Yep. Yeah. For me, it's nail polish remover. Um, and then as I drink it, it's strangely like soft and smooth. Mm-hmm. Like this is one of the smoothest whiskeys we have drank in a long, long time. Uh, and it's got a little bit of like a Listerine taste for me. Um, it, it, honestly, Bob, there's not a lot of flavor going on mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm like weirdly not against it. So, you know, like when, we, I, when we talk about I don't about, hate it, but I don't love it. So, you know, when we talk about blended whiskeys, I don't just mean like a blend of whiskeys, but the category called blended whiskeys, where usually they cut it with what's called neutral grain spirits. So like Seagram seven, we tried that one and it's basically like bourbon cut with or it's like, you know, Canadian whiskey cut with vodka. This this kind of is that to me, like 
they're they're blending Irish and rye, and then they're bringing in like this middleman of like almost a neutral grain spirit to kind of just like add some alcohol to the proceedings and maybe maybe help mellow those other two out. That's kind of why I wanted to start with this one, because I think the other two that go into this blend are going to be a lot more, you know, characteristic. So let's go ahead and try the pot still Irish whiskey. Again, four years old, aged in used barrels, 86 proof. Brad, what are you picking up on this one? Now, this one is like similar to the Irish grain, but like less on the nose. Uh, and honestly, as I've gotten into the palate a little bit, it's even less flavor. Mm. See, uh, I think the nose is is a pretty standard Irish whiskey nose, especially if you hold like the sample bottle up to your nose, Brad. Like I'm, you're right in that I'm not getting a ton of it out of the Glencairn. But uh, for being a very soft Irish whiskey, I get a lot of those nice fruit notes. I get a lot of that kind of like uh, baby's breath or heather kind of floral thing going on as well. I actually like this on the nose. Yeah, I mean, it definitely has more of a Irish whiskey smell to it. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if it was just because it was the fourth whiskey I tried that it it wasn't sticking out to me. This, This one tastes like a very light Irish whiskey to me. Like... Yeah. Like light with a L-I-T-E spelling. And yet on the back of the palate, I feel like the malt really takes over. Like this goes kind of bitter. And I'm interested to see how it's going to meld or mix with this rye. Man, I just like I'm I'm so fascinated by this blend, Brad. Like I would never have thought of putting rye and Irish whiskey together. So I'm going to crack my rye now. This is, again, an 86 proof rye, four years of age. This one was aged in new uh, or virgin barrels. Uh, and this has significantly more color than both the Irish ones did. <laughs> yes, it does. Now, the vibe I'm getting, Brad, is that you've already drank through these. I'm tasting them live as we do this. So why don't you kind of fill some time while I try the rye here? See, now this rye, Bob, is absolutely delicious. Mm. Uh, it, for me, it's like a warm caramel and cream. There's some dark chocolate, some orange zest. Uh, and a little bit of baking spices. I really liked this rye a lot. I'm not digging the nose. The nose is like dill and like a, like wet cardboard. <laughs> I, that is, uh, that's the wrong nose, Bob. I'm telling you, man. But I'm <laughs> I'm with you on the taste. This thing really develops well. Yeah, I, I think that the biggest thing for me with this one was that it was just a really beautiful blend of the sweeter notes and those spicy rye notes. Like, this, like this is what I'm looking for in a rye. I, I don't know what rye they are getting or where they're sourcing it from, but it, it's a daggone good one. All right, so that means it is time for us to try the finished product. Brad, I know you've sampled this Irish plus American whiskey. What do you think of their final product? It's really good, Bob. Uh, on the nose, I got like honey... And rose, mm. uh, it's like really nice and floral, soft, sweet honey notes going on. Um, and then there's just this nice hint of citrus that comes through. Uh, it, it's fascinating. Like having gone through the three ingredients that make up this blend, you can see where they're coming from. And Bob, this is one of the smoothest just most tasty whiskeys I've ever had. All right, now you've like, used the word smooth twice. And I know that there are some whiskey people out there that really hate when a review uses the word smooth. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to give you a, a lob here, Brad. When you say smooth, what do you mean by that? It gives me a Kentucky hug without any aggression. Mm, OK, like 
it's warm and it, it warms, you know, the cockles of your soul, but it do, it's not harsh or aggressive. It doesn't burn in the same way that bourbons often do. Um, I, I think the beauty of whiskey from, from the aisles is just the simple fact that they do a better job of cutting out the alcohol and they do a better job of keeping it from keeping people from experiencing too much of that, that alcohol burn. Mm -hmm. And that's just something you always get with bourbon and, and, you know, people will swear by it. They love it. But in the end, this is a smooth whiskey that stays away from that. And still has a lot of really nice, warm notes to it. So I, I'm a big fan of this. Yeah, this is like significantly better. You know, the, the sum is greater than all of its parts here. I don't know how they got this to be so sweet on the palate when none of the three components were particularly sweet on the palate. It has a very pleasant sweetness to it that's really characteristic of Irish whiskey on the front of the palate. And then when you swallow, you get some of that malt and then just a hint of that rye creeps back in. Brad, this is a phenomenal whiskey. Like, I'm really impressed with this, especially after tasting through the three things that go into it. I was like, oh, man, I don't really know how this is going to turn out. This is a really great blend. I would be interested to see what the percentage breakdown of this looks like in terms of how much of each component has gone into this final blend. I don't know. What would you say? I think that it is a majority of the pot still. I agree. I would say like maybe 40% pot still. And then like 32, 33 of the American rye and then like 26, 27 of the Irish grain. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's really good. That's all I know, Brad. If we were scoring this out, I'm not entirely sure what this is retailing for, for a full bottle. I'm also not sure if it's being released nationwide yet. But I will say just, you know, if we were giving it a nose taste finish and balance score out of 40 i think this would be like well above a 30 approaching a 35 for me oh i think this would easily be like a 37 to 39 for me wow that like this is a really solid take on the irish whiskey genre and i like that they brought that irish feel and added an american whiskey twist to it mm -hmm. that uh, it makes it really stand out in the world of whiskey. You know, Scott Sauer, a friend of the show, has said this often before. Once you've tried a hundred bourbons, <laughs> you've tried them all. And at this point, I, I am just really curious about unique, fun, interesting takes on whiskey. And Keeper's Heart has knocked that out of the park. All right, Brad, let's get back into our Patreon questions. What do you say? Let's get to it. All right, guys, we are getting back into the mailbag. We are going to give Matt on the Rocks a chance to redeem himself. He asked, what book have you read recently that you hope becomes a movie? So here's the thing, man. I don't read for fun anymore. I don't find, <laughs> it, I don't find it fun anymore. I used to read like there was no tomorrow when I was a kid. I read so much and all of my nerdiness that I apply to like movies and buying Blu-rays and the Criterion Collection... When I was a kid, I found out about the Newberry Medal. Do you know what that is, Brad? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I was like, the Newberry Medal, they pick the best book every year. And then I just like read as many as I could. And I, you know, like just so I could have a ranking in my head of like what the best Newberry books were. And so I, I read a ton when I was a kid. And then after college and grad school, it's just I'm done. Like grad school has <laughs> ruined me on reading. Now, I remember a couple years ago to answer this question. I was listening to NPR, maybe like something on the radio, and they were interviewing an author of a book that was coming out called Killers of the Flower Moon. 
And it was all about like a murder on a reservation and an FBI investigation into it. And it was like, it sounded so, so good. And I think that book went on to either win the Pulitzer Prize or like the, you know, the American Book Award or whatever. And then I find out that not only did that book that I had like mentally logged to read at some point get adapted into a movie, it's being adapted by Martin Scorsese. And it Ooh. stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Jesse Plemons, and it comes out this year, and it is like primed to be the biggest movie of the year. Man, I didn't know that there was a lot of Catholics on Native American reservations. Yeah, Bob. I'm assuming they play the FBI guys, not uh, not, uh, not the Native <laughs> Americans. So uh, I'm they're super... just going to be really bitter Boston cops. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm really really pumped to see that movie. I have not read the book, but it's been on my radar for so long that like I'm I'm ready for this one. So my movie is something that I simultaneously want to see adapted and yet don't because I know they'd ruin it somehow. Uh, But Red Rising, Hmm. it is a trilogy about humans who have made it to space and they've kind of like a Hunger Games sort of style. They've been able to like modify the human genome to the point where like there are different stratas in society And they're all represented by colors like golds are the elites of society and reds are at the very bottom of society. And it's one of my favorite book series I've ever read. And I think it would adapt super well to a movie. Uh, But unless they handed it to like our boy Denis or something, I just don't think it would be done well. So I simultaneously want to see it done, but I also don't. All right. As a follow up to that question, our friend at Ohio Skeet asked us, what is your favorite book that's been turned into a movie? So when I when I read that, I'm thinking like my favorite book, not necessarily like best book to movie adaptation. And when it comes to that, I'll say, I mean, my favorite book of all time is probably The Great Gatsby. Um, but right up there with it is a book from the 1950s called Revolutionary Road. The author of that book writes so similarly to F. Scott Fitzgerald. It's It's very cynical. It takes a really hard look at what Uh, life is like in the suburbs in the 1950s and the sort of like bullshit of the suburbs. Uh, It is an absolutely crushing movie. If you ever see it, it was directed by Sam Mendes, who did uh, American Beauty and Skyfall in 1917. I was I was literally about to say, I I thought we watched that, Bob. Wasn't it American Beauty? Yeah. Well, it stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. It was their big reunion after Titanic. It's a really good movie. It's just not as good as the book. And the book is probably the best book I've ever read besides maybe Gatsby. So that would be my pick. Uh, I think my pick is pretty obvious here. The Lord of the Rings is hands down probably a top three favorite book series for me, uh, if not my favorite. And the movies are my favorite movie series of all time. So that that's a pretty easy one for me to pick. Brad, here's our next question. It is whiskey related. If you could start your own bourbon brand, what would you name it? Build the perfect bourbon, like what notes, proof, etc. So interesting that that they would ask us to build a bourbon. I mean, I think that bourbon is probably collectively our favorite thing to drink. But I know that if it was just you picking, you'd probably build a rye brand over a bourbon brand. Yeah, honestly, I would want to build a whiskey brand like and I and I don't say that like facetiously, like I would want to try blending. Yeah, I would want to honestly, I would want to build barrel as a company. There you I go. just love blending things. I, I just, the more I drink whiskey, the more I'm fascinated by the high quality that you get out of blended products yep. when, when people just use unique things. 
Are you familiar with Weller CYPB? Uh, yes. Uh, choose, choose your barrel pick. Yeah. So it's, it's uh create your perfect bourbon. And so Weller there did this is. thing starting a few years back where they started crowdsourcing. What is the perfect bourbon for you? And they've essentially found that people just want to make Weller antique. Like it's 107 proof or something <laughs> and it's six to eight years old and it's a weeded mash bill. And so, but they, they let the populate, like the populace decide what goes into the make of this whiskey and what floor it was on and of the Rick house and things like that. And everybody that I've ever heard that's tried it has said like, it's good, but there's nothing exceptional about it. And I think when you try to make a whiskey that appeals to everybody, that's kind of where you start to, you know, you just make like a generic, good tasting whiskey. Yep. That, that said, I have been really gravitating towards weeded bourbons and wheat whiskeys lately. Um, I just, I really love everything from Rebel Yell. And like, if I could be creating my perfect bourbon, it would probably be something like a Rebel Distillers Collection or something like that. Because mm. I just freaking love that stuff, man. Uh, and, and I'm like probably in that proof range. Like I'd say one, 105 to 115 would be like a perfect range for me and probably like six to eight years old. So I, I fall right in that Weller CYPB demographic, <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. But but you'll do it better, obviously. A hundred percent. Here's the thing, though, Bob. Nobody actually cares what's in the bottle. Uh, we need to talk marketing. <laughs> what like what would be our theme? Like, is, is it going to be a movie themed whiskey company? I think we get as close to Buffalo Trace without copyright infringing so that we can just like <laughs> steal some of that sweet, sweet clout. It's like chicken cock and we call uh, it like, wild turkey. Yeah, we call it like Tuffalo Brace. And <laughs> Tuffalo Brace. <laughs> See, I just, I do, I love me a good pun. And so, like, if we did like a Tarantino-themed whiskey company and, you know, had like Pulp Fiction-themed whiskeys and I, I that would amuse me at the very least. So I think, I think I'd roll around around that idea a little bit. So just picture it. It's it's an image of like Clark Gable on our bottle. And the name of our scotch is frankly, my dear, I don't give a dram. Dude, I'm in. Boom. I'm in. We 100%. Do it. <laughs> 100%, man. Oh, man. All right, dude, let's move on to the next one here. Uh, this one's going to be fun. This is from our friend Aperture Flash again. He says, I would like to hear you guys do two facts and a falsehood about yourselves. Woo. Brad, I have given some some serious thought to this, and here's what I've come up with. A few weeks ago on the Discord, I asked a question of everybody, and I said, what is something that's like a generally accepted, easy thing to do that you cannot do? And the thing that I volunteered <laughs> about myself was that I cannot shuffle a deck of cards to save my life. I just I Which can't. is wild to me. I can't do it. And like I've, I've gotten to the point now where like I can kind of do it, but it's just it's so sad and pathetic that I'm like, just somebody else shuffle or like, give me one of those automatic shuffler machines and I'll just do that. Like, it's a waste of my time at this point. So my two facts and a falsehood are other things Bob can't do because there is a surprising hey. number of things that I am really bad at. So here you go, Brad. Fact number one, I cannot swim. Like okay. if, you, uh, if you dropped me in the ocean, I'd be a goner. If I'm in a pool, I can get from... Point A to point B, but I can't like sit still and tread water. How how long would it be before you were a goner in the ocean? Uh, like like forty eight seconds. <laughs> okay, forty eight seconds. Got, Got it. it. Number two, I cannot tie my shoes. At least not the way most people can. 
Do you know how when you were like in preschool and you learned how to tie your shoes and they showed you the one method where you like you made two bunny ears and tucked the one under the other? And then they showed you the yeah. way that like adults do it and you have to like, yeah. you know, you wrap it around instead. I don't do the wrap around thing. I just do the bunny ears. You still do the bunny ears. That's the only way I know how, man. I wouldn't say that that's not knowing how to tie your shoes. It's just knowing a lesser way of tying your <laughs> shoes. <laughs> All right. Fact number three, I cannot do a somersault. Like I can get myself to roll, but it is uh, it's way off kilter. And it doesn't look like a somersault. <laughs> All right. I'm I'm going to be rude here for a second. Are you ready? Yeah. Could like young in college Bob do a somersault, but post-grad school Bob can't? <laughs> uh, no, I couldn't ever really do one. I mean, like it's definitely I have to uh, give myself a little bit harder of a push. There's more momentum involved now. <laughs> Okay. But I've never, I've just never been able to roll on like a straight axis. I always go like off to the side somehow. Okay. Man. So I, I feel like you have told me before about the swimming thing. So I think that's a truth. Um, the, the shoe thing and the somersault thing. The the thing is, I feel like if I say the somersault, you're going to be like, no, I can do a perfect somersault. Watch. <laughs> but I'm going to go with the somersault. I think that's the lie. No, sorry. I'm going to go with the, the bunny ears. I think that's the lie. The somersault was the lie. Really? Yeah. You, so can, do, you can do a perfect somersault. I can do a perfect somersault. Watch. Hey. <laughs> good job yeah man. thanks no but i really can't tie my shoes the way most people do i only do the two bunny ears and it's really the two bunny ears. when i have to stop and like tie my shoe if i'm out with someone i always kind of like turn away because i'm like what if they watch me do this like i'm a four-year-old because that's the only way i know how <laughs> all i can think of is somebody needs to make a parody uh like a music uh biopic of you and at some point, like the defining feature of your life is going to be you being made fun of for doing the bunny shoe mm. and the redeeming moment, like at the very end of the movie, when you're like off of drugs and like coming out of rehab <laughs> is your like son is going to be like 12 and he's going to sit you down and like teach you how to properly tie your <laughs> shoes. And then there's like a freeze frame of me being like, yes. And then it fades. To yeah. Black. Yep. All right. Let's let's hear yours, Brad. Two facts and a falsehood. Fact number one, out of all the different forms of punishment that you can be handed out at school, and I'm not talking like, you know, like you have to go clap the erasers out back because you were bad, I'm, like official school punishment. The only one I've ever gotten was being suspended. I went right to the top. Wow. Okay. Fact number two. Uh, fact number two, I have been to 37 out of the 50 states. Okay. Now, Fact wait, hold on. I'm just going to, like, you're not going to pull something and be like, it was 36. Ha, 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 ha. Like, if, if this is the falsehood, I'm assuming that it's, like, either 20 or, like, 45. Yeah, no. Is I, that fair to be, say? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be that petty. Fact number three. I scored a 33 on my ACT. Hmm. I don't know. I can see you scoring a 33 on the ACT. Oh, that's sweet. Um, what was number one again? Out of all the forms oh, of punishment yeah, yeah. that could be handed out at school. Oh, you definitely got suspended. I'm not even. Suspended. Yeah. 
I'm going to be surprised if you never got suspended. Like, that's going to be the shocker <laughs> to me. Uh, I'll go with two just because I don't know. Maybe you've traveled a lot. Maybe you haven't traveled at all. But I'm going to say two is the falsehood. Uh, I have not traveled outside of the States very much. I've only ever been to Ukraine. Hmm. Uh, but I have been to 37 out oh, of 50 nice. states. All right. What was the falsehood? Yeah. Uh, I scored a 29 on my ACT. Yeah. Wow. You're dumb. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, <laughs> only the, a the 29. Funny thing, the, the funny thing was I like only scored like a 21 or two on my math. And literally like a week after I took the test, we learned like half of the stuff that was on the ACT. <laughs> for the math section oh, boo. and and my mom was like well why don't you go back and take it again and i was like nah bro i'm not taking it again i 29 is fine i can get into whatever school i want on a serious <laughs> note i was just thinking about this like a week ago because a couple kids in my youth group were taking the act and i really think that schools should establish some sort of like assistance program for taking the act i think that it's ridiculous oh, that we charge kids you know when i took it it was 50 dollars. it might be more than yeah. that now but like I grew up pretty poor, Brad, and like $50 was a lot. And I was actually working, uh, you know, in high school to save up money to take the ACT. And I could only afford to take it one time. And like I did well enough that I didn't have to take it again. But if I had had unlimited resources or even just the opportunity to take it one more time and try to improve, I probably would have. So, yeah, I don't know, man. I wish that there was a way that we could offer those resources for kids who can't really afford it because, yeah, I, you know, I pastor in a very wealthy community and those kids can take it as much as they want because they have the resources. Yeah. And then there's kids who grew up like me who it's like, you better not this up or, (laughs) or that's it for you. You will not get into the school you want. So I think, I think we need to start like a Derek Zoolander, uh, film and whiskey funds who can't ACT center for kids. So they don't up the ACT. (laughs) All right, man, let's breeze through these last couple. Uh, What is the best Tom Cruise movie and why is it Top Gun? I will say I am going to go watch the absolute poop out of the new Top Gun movie. I cannot wait for that movie to come out. Uh, Top Gun 1, absolutely not Tom Cruise's best movie. This is a hard one because Tom Cruise has worked with a lot of great directors over the years. I mean, he was in a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, uh, Magnolia, uh, for which he, I think, was nominated for an Oscar. He was up for an Oscar in 1989 for Born on the Fourth of July, the Oliver Stone movie. Um, And then he's just been in some absolutely perfect action films like Mission Impossible Fallout. And so, like, what's your metric for determining the best movie? I think if you want, like, the movie that is the, the most like the peak Tom Cruise and also a good movie. I think you kind of have to put Jerry Maguire up there. That seems like mm-hmm. Tom Cruise coming off of his kind of like 80s rise and just enjoying the spoils in the 90s. And that movie was everywhere. But my favorite cruise movie, I don't know, man. Fallout's got to be up there for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, hmm. Live, die, repeat, edge of tomorrow, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) uh, is definitely up there. I think that Rain Man is up there for me. Mm. I I just think he is transcendent in that movie. Um, He's really great in Jerry Maguire. Honestly, it's it's been since like high school that I saw Top Gun. So I I can't comment on it. Yeah, probably Fallout. I don't know. Part of me wants to say the original Mission Impossible just because that like set the franchise in motion. So uh, I'll, I'll go with Fallout. 
I'll say Fallout. All right. This one is whiskey related. Favorite movie or series scene that revolves around whiskey. For example, I love the way Leo in the West Wing talks about scotch right before he relapses. Admittedly, it's a sad scene, but it's a great scene. <laughs> Brad, I honestly can't think of a, a scene that's like so crucial to a movie that also, you know what I mean? Like there's probably something where they're like, hey, would you like some, you know, Canadian yeah. club? Like I think like Mad Men, that's all they drank was Canadian club. So that's I was kind say, of iconic. I think, I think the entire TV show of Mad Men revolved around whiskey. <laughs> Yeah, I wish I had a better answer for this, but I can't really think of anything that's standing out that's like whiskey centric. I will say every once in a while we'll be watching a movie and it will just very surprisingly bring whiskey into the picture. Mm -hmm. And and that kind of gets me sometimes where I'm like, oh, yeah, they're like actually talking about a whiskey in a way that's intelligent. I remember uh, when we did uh, Green Book and uh, yeah. Mahershala Ali's character was constantly drinking Cuddy Sark. And I was yep. like. Man, I really wish that we had watched this before we picked the whiskey for the week because I could have gone out and gotten us a <laughs> bottle of Cuddy. Like, yeah, there have been times where we've we've chosen our whiskey for the week and then watched the movie. And it's very clearly like Jim Beam. And we're like, oh, my gosh, like, why didn't we think of doing Jim Beam with this? So, yeah, what I feel like we just watched a movie recently where they were drinking. Was it Jim Beam? Yeah, I don't know, man. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Terrible answer, Matt. I apologize for that. <laughs> All right. Uh, what is your favorite war movie? This is a weird question for me because like, I don't know, the older I get, the more that like I watch war movies and I kind of feel the weight of the uh, the casualties. We talked about yep. this a lot with Saving Private Ryan. And I, I would probably say Saving Private Ryan. Like, I think it's it, from a technical filmmaking standpoint, it's probably the best war movie ever made. But I also think that it is severely uh, mis characterized as a movie that's like rah rah America and I don't I don't think that's the case at all and I would really encourage people to go back and listen to our Saving Private Ryan episode if you want like an anti-war movie I would say like Stanley Kubrick's movie Paths of Glory is a fantastic movie um, and if you want like a really recent example I would say 1917 just because like that was one of the coolest theater experiences of my life but uh, Private Ryan is probably my favorite one or the one that I think is the best um, probably Tropic Thunder. <laughs> also my favorite Tom Cruise movie. Yeah. Weirdly. <laughs> oh man. Favorite war movie. I will say that the opening speech in Patton is just ball busting mm -hmm. and phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So that, that would be a favorite, like one of my favorite scenes from a war movie. Man, I, this is just genuinely from growing up. I remember watching We Were Soldiers, oh, uh, the Mel Gibson one. Yeah. It doesn't hold up that well, but like there are, there are moments from that movie, like where they, when they pick up the guy that's been burned severely and like the yes. skin like slides off his legs like that, that image will be in my mind until I die. Like it's just, yeah. it's etched there forever. Unfortunately. Yeah, so that, yeah. Yes. So that would be one that sticks with me. Although I know it probably doesn't have quite as good a reception anymore. Um, and honestly, dude, the other one, I love me some bridge over the river quiet, mm. man. It's, I can't wait to do so that movie good. on this podcast. Like, oh, I'm so excited. It's so good. All right, man. Let's so, move yeah, on. Those would be a few of them. Let's move on to our last couple here. These are both about us. Uh, our friend Aperture Flash submitted another question and said, I want you guys to define the borders of what you consider to be the Midwest. And I think this comes oh. from, I was just listening back to our young adult episode today, and I talked about the Minnesotans being Midwest nice. 
I will just say for the record, I don't think Minnesota is in the Midwest, but I don't either. It's also really hard to pin down the Midwest because I think that anything that people consider to be flyover country, they also just call the Midwest. And I really struggle. Like by the time you get far enough West to be in like South Dakota, I don't consider that the Midwest anymore, but I also have friends like from seminary that were from South Dakota that would call themselves Midwesterners. So I think for me, Missouri is probably like the most West I would get and consider it Midwest. And if you just draw a straight line up and down from there, um, like Iowa, I would probably still consider Midwest. But when you're getting into like, you know, Nebraska, too far north. Yeah, too far north or, or any farther west than that. Yeah, I will say that I think that the Rust Belt is a distinct geographic area. And like it's a it's a subgenre. If you draw a ring around the Great Lakes, like Buffalo, New York, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you know, Cleveland, Akron, Youngstown, Ohio, Toledo, all the way, I would say, to Chicago. Like we are a very different area of the country. And and even if you drive down south in Ohio from Cleveland to Columbus, like the Columbus area has more in common with Iowa than it has in common with Cleveland. Like, it's just a fact. And I don't think people understand that the industrial kind of rust belt area is so similar to itself, like Cleveland to Buffalo. It's the same thing. Right. But Cleveland to Columbus, it's like worlds apart. Yeah. If you drive down 77, it's like the Rust Belt, yes. Akron, Canton, even down into um, uh, what's what's on the border starts with an M. Uh, Marietta. Yeah, Marietta, like all kind of has a bit of a Rust Belt feel. If you go down 71, no Rust Belt at all. <laughs> just <laughs> like, corn. Just corn forever. It's just corn. Yeah. Uh, so this is a question that is near and dear to my heart. I have argued for a very long time against the official borders of the Midwest um, because officially the Midwest includes all of Missouri uh, and everything north from there. And I think including Minnesota and Wisconsin and, and all that. For me, I would consider the Midwest, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, um, Western PA, and Michigan. That is what I would consider the Midwest. Yeah, I would probably lump Missouri in there a little bit, and I would probably extend it to like Iowa, but that's about it for me. I mean, I will say all of my dad's family is from Iowa, so yeah. I, I'm okay with you know extending it uh, to Iowa. But having been to Iowa a ton, it doesn't feel as Midwest to me. It, yeah. it feels more like a Western state. Yeah, but, and there's something uh, about the know? like the central states that they have their own vibe. Like if you're in Oklahoma, yep. it's yep. not the South, it's not the West. It kind of feels like the Midwest, but then you're like, it's very, it's very dusty and flat. Yeah, and like <laughs> so. And as soon as you think it's the South, a tornado hits, and suddenly it's the Midwest. Right. Exactly. It's just all over the place. <laughs> all right, guys, we have one more question. Uh, this is coming from our friend Ohio Skeet. What is your favorite non-bourbon spirit? So this is interesting because it's not non-whiskey spirit, just non-bourbon spirit. Uh, I <laughs> will still say like. I, th- I think he meant non-whiskey. Yeah, I'll go out of the realm of whiskey. I think we've answered this before. I really like gin and I tried two gins yesterday uh, that 
almost made me change my answer because they were they were not good. But <laughs> I think a gin that really brings in some more character to it and uses like orange peel and, you know, Watershed Distillery makes this one called Four Peel Gin, which is just, I mean, it's like, it's so decadent and it it's like they built a cocktail in a glass, but it's just the flavor of the gin. Uh, when you bring in some of those other flavors, I think gin is like such a great alternative to whiskey. It's just as complex, but it is a light, you know, it's a white spirit. And like, I don't want to drink a dark spiced rum when I could drink whiskey, but I will totally go the opposite direction and drink a gin. And I think that's kind of why I like gin so much. I was going to say, if I'm drinking something straight, I want to drink tequila. Right. Like good, good tequila. Uh, if I'm drinking a non-whiskey spirit for mixed drinks, it's dark spiced rum hmm. or or tequila, like uh, a margarita from a Hispanic restaurant that uses like legit fresh squeezed oranges and limes and lemons literally cannot be beat. So uh, tequila and rum w- would be my two. All right. We have made it through, Brad. We have run the whole gamut here. We want to say thank you to all of our patrons and our Instagram followers for submitting these questions. I hope this has been informative. And we want to say thank you one more time to Keeper's Heart O'Shaughnessy Distillery for sending us this awesome tasting kit. This Irish plus American was fantastic. Cannot recommend it highly enough. It's a banger, bro. Yeah. It is so, so good. So yeah, go. If you are able to find yourself some Keeper's Heart, get your hands on it because it is delicious. We will be back on Monday with another regularly scheduled episode. But until then, I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And we'll see you next time.